0: So there's this really interesting moment in Canadian political history that I want to talk about. And we have to go all the way back to 1998. Now, in January of that year, Royal Bank of Canada and the Bank of Montreal announced that they planned to merge. And it's really hard to overstate how big of a deal this was. Not only would this be easily the biggest merger of any kind in Canadian history, it would have been the second biggest in North American history. And not long after, there was another announcement. TD and CIBC also planned to merge. Canada's big five banks were about to become the big three. The banks said that this was a necessary move so that they could be competitive with international giants like Wells Fargo and Citibank. But Canadians were not buying it.
1: This whole idea of mergers, this is one of the reasons uh, that mergers don't work. Is because uh, by merging, what you do is uh, the banks close down uh, some of their banks throughout the city, throughout the country.
0: The banks pushed back. They claimed that job losses would be minimal. Here's RBC's CEO at the time.
2: Job reductions will be contained within attrition levels. We're saying that uh, no small town, rural area, where uh, the two banks are there are going to see a loss of service as a result of the mergers.
0: In fact, they argued that there could be consequences if they weren't allowed to merge.
3: They said that because they couldn't merge, you're going to have to reduce staff and close branches. So it's, you know, okay, you're going to get layoffs and, and fewer branches.
0: That's Senator Colin Deacon. He sits on the upper house's banking committee. And normally, that would be the end of that. Mergers simply do not get blocked in this country. But banks are a little different. For a banking merger to go through, it has to get the personal sign-off of the Minister of Finance. And Minister Paul Martin was skeptical, even though he was basically the leader of the Liberal Party's pro-corporate wing.
3: The minister said there's an unacceptable concentration of economic power. It causes the reduction of competition, which causes higher prices and less service.
0: Here's Paul Martin in the House of Commons.
3: No, Mr. Speaker, and
0: the reason is very clear. We are not going to give these two institutions a leg up on any other institutions, nor are we going to allow public policy to be determined by the particular interests of these two institutions. Public policy is going to be set, Mr. Speaker, by the public interest of Canadians as a whole. The banks were incensed. The CEO of TD Bank called the government, quote, totalitarian for even questioning whether or not they should merge. And Paul Martin, he just said no to both mergers, something that I can't even imagine happening today.
3: I think he got it right 25 years ago. It was I know it was a high-pressure decision that was being grappled with by that government.
0: Martin would eventually let TD acquire Canada Trust, so it's not like he didn't let the banks get their way sometimes. But the banks were incensed at the Liberal government for denying them what they thought was their natural right.
3: Well, I think the banks were really upset at Paul Martin's decision.
0: Now what's so surprising about this is that of all the oligopolies in Canada, the big banks are probably the most powerful.
3: But uh, you have to remember that the banks are, 20, on average, 25 years older than Canada, so they've been pretty good at managing their communications with the federal government and managing the lobbying process, they've been around a lot longer than the country has been. So they've got that figured out.
0: And because they're, you know, banks, what they do affects the entire economy and just about every Canadian. More after the break. Before he was fighting the monopolies, Keldon Bester worked for them.
2: I helped people give Canadians as little interest as possible for their checking accounts.
0: Keldon is a co-founder of the Canadian Anti-Monopoly Project, and you might remember him from earlier this season. And he says that when he was working with the banks, he saw from the inside just how little they need to compete with each other for customers.
2: My experience there was not that people sat around rubbing their hands in smoke-filled rooms, thinking about how they could uh, screw over Canadians, but uh, it was that banks look to one another before making their own decisions. And there is a lot of, you know, follow the leader and sort of understandings that there is a certain way to act. And when one bank maybe deviates from that even slightly, it does cause a bit of a commotion. So, you know, similar to, I think, this concept of oligopoly competition is that people are looking over their shoulders at their um, competitors, and there's an understanding that real competitive behavior is is a bit of an aberration and, and would be punished. And so while, you know, the people working at the bank are, are not, um, as I said, they're not rubbing their hands together, they are kind of constrained by the expectations of of an oligopoly market.
0: And I'm sure you've seen in your day-to-day life exactly how this plays out. BMO, Scotiabank, and TD, they all charge exactly $16.95 a month for an unlimited checking account. Quite a coincidence if you ask me. The banks also nickel and dime Canadians with their overdraft fees and ATM fees. Here's Senator Colin Deacon again.
3: So the banking system doesn't work for all Canadians. It works for privileged Canadians extremely well, but it is expensive relative to what goes on on the globe. Paying to use an ATM at 10 times the rate of what they pay in the the UK, if you're not going to your own bank, those are big costs. The cost of credit card transfer fees being seven times what they are in Europe for processing payments. I mean, the five largest banks in the U.S. make up about a third of the market. In Canada, they control 85% of the market. They behave in a way that is very much oligopolistic. Canadian banks in Canada charge those ATM fees to non-customers of their bank. But those same banks don't do it in the, United, in the United States in their branches. So it says that more competition delivers better value and starts to see some differentiation of services, unlike what you feel and, and most Canadians experience.
4: The banking system in this country is is sick. the The symptoms are there, but you're not gonna find them by just looking at the monthly fee on your banking statement, which is really just the tip of the iceberg. That's Alex
0: Vronsis, the executive director of Fintechs Canada, an industry association of financial technology companies.
4: Banking is many things. It's a vault for your money. It's a portrait of your financial life. It's lending. It's investing. It's payments. It's a bundle of things. But because the the biggest banks in the country have control of a couple of strategic assets, financial infrastructure and your financial data in particular, they don't really need to compete with anyone in these markets. And that's why uh, the banking system in this country is sick. When markets are competitive, prices go down and quality goes up, but prices aren't going down. Banks' non-interest sources of income as a proportion of overall income, and I think in absolute terms, has gone up over the past several years. Non-interest sources are fees, transaction fees, investment management fees, but quality has stayed the same. What's changed lately about your banking, right? Like my personal banking has been the same for years. When you look at the Canadian Federation of Independent Businesses' report card for banks, based on their survey of thousands of their members, the big banks do horribly, worse than everyone else, and yet they're still dominating the market. Canadian banking is sick and uh, not, not in a good way.
0: And Alex argues that because they don't need to compete much with each other or other firms,
4: even their basic infrastructure is rotting. Many banks are ancient at their core. Their back offices run on COBOL, a programming language so old and outdated that enterprise risk management teams worry the day will come when no one knows the programming language anymore. These ancient systems are costly to our economy. Research EY did for Payments Canada a couple years ago found that the back office inefficiencies of banks cost Canadian businesses 14 to $32 billion every five years, and that's just for payment processing alone. But it's
0: not just incumbency or size that makes the big banks so hard to compete
4: against. Banks control two things which they use to prevent their competitors from competing with them. Those things are financial infrastructure and financial data. The financial data you generate when you swipe your card or, or you get paid your salary. Let's start with the financial data side. This is the data you generate when you do anything in the financial sector. It's your credit history, your transaction data. It's the complete portrait of your financial life. This data powers financial services. Canadians without a credit history struggle to access loans because banks have been slow to recognize other forms of data as a proxy for your creditworthiness. We have non-bank financial technology companies that are willing to use alternative measures of creditworthiness, but they can't when banks don't let you share your data with other providers. The big banks relaxing some of their control freakery here could expand the market for more friendly credit, but the big banks benefit from being control freaks.
0: And then there's the financial infrastructure.
4: When I say financial infrastructure, I really mean the systems to move money around in this country. Well, if you can't move money around or have no control over when you can move money around, payments companies are the most intuitive example. If you're a payment company and can't process payments when you need to process them for your customers, then you aren't a payments company. Uh, And you can't compete with banks which have their own payments business lines. Uh, Banks collectively pull in billions of dollars in transaction fees. If you've erected a wall around this market and new players can't get in and have to use the systems you own, uh, what incentive do you have to lower your fees? For decades, governments have half-heartedly tried to
0: take control of Canada's payment system away from the big banks.
4: Big banks control this infrastructure through a little-known organization called Payments Canada, and they use this control to keep the competition out. Payments Canada was created by the government in the 1980s 80s as the Canadian Payments Association. It was uh, done to wrestle away control of the payment systems back then from Canada's banking lobby, the Canadian Bankers Association. The CBA had been controlling the payment systems before that, and uh, the government at the time had determined that, that the CBA was doing this to the detriment of their competitors, which at the time were credit unions. They were the new kids on the block. So the, the government passed a piece of legislation called the Canadian Payments Act and gave the Canadian Payments Association the mandate to run this infrastructure and plan its evolution to everyone's benefit, not not just the benefit of uh, Canada's biggest banks. Over the years, though, it's become clear that control wasn't wrestled away from the big banks. When it was created back then, it was set up so that the bigger you were, the, the more voting power you had over the association spending. And if you have power over the purse, you have power over everything that the association does. The problems with this were immediately apparent Through this control, the big banks also had control over uh, the rules of that payment system. And the rules were written in such a way where smaller financial institutions, smaller banks, and credit unions were prohibited from using the payment systems to move money around. To the extent they could use them, they had to go through big banks to do it. And and the big banks charged them for that access to the systems, which is self-evidently problematic because it's hard to compete with your competitor when they're charging you to compete with them.
0: This control over infrastructure is something you see in a lot of monopolistic industries. The big railroads own the rail lines that their competitors rely on. The big telcos own much of the infrastructure that their smaller wireless competitors similarly have to rely on. But in both of those industries, there are government regulators who set rules and adjudicate disputes. In the case of telecoms, it's the CRTC, and for rail, it's the Canadian Transportation Agency. Now, as we've discussed in previous episodes, these regulators are often captured and end up siding with the oligopolies. But when it comes to payments, we have this nonprofit, Payments Canada, which for most of its existence was run by the biggest banks. The federal government eventually did make some changes, making the board more independent. And Payments Canada has now been tasked with modernizing the payment system so that financial technology companies can have access to the system and compete on a level playing field with the big banks. The only problem? There's good reason to believe that, once again, the big banks have taken over the process. For one, the company that's been given the contract to create this new payment system is Interac, which is owned by the big banks and operates the system that this new system is supposed to compete with, which is all kind of bonkers.
4: The big banks have been using their muscle to delay the delivery of Payments Canada's new system, which everyone can access, while upgrading their own real-time payment system, which they own through Interac, so that it will be better than Payments Canada's when Payments Canada's finally launches. And these
0: delays to updating our payments infrastructure can have pretty serious consequences.
1: The Rogers network went down early Friday morning. Wireless, cable and internet
4: affecting every corner of Canada. The ripple effect meant payment systems like Interac were down. A major hit to the bottom line for some. It took one internet outage to knock out the only banking system in this country that processes debit payments and email money transfers. Imagine that. There's only one game in town and now it's down. If you don't have access to a credit card or cash on hand, then you can't pay for gas, for groceries or for medicine. I sort of laughed at myself because it was the it was one of the few times in my life where like the average person on the street actually cares about what you have to say about payment systems. There was a lot of attention on Rogers. And I mean, rightly, rightly so. That was the source of the issue. But there wasn't that much attention paid to the fact that the biggest banks in the country didn't think about building redundancy in the one system they have, the one system Canadians have to process debit card payments and email money transfers.
0: Through their control of financial data and financial infrastructure, the big banks are able to stifle smaller competitors who might want to offer different kinds of services
3: to Canadians. Here's Senator Colin Deacon again. How about Muslim Canadians who are halal compliant, who would be absolutely the best high-quality customers of the banks if they could take and pay interest, but they can't, so they need special products, but they're invisible to the banks because they don't have a credit score. So changing how we enable people to get access to financial services is essential if we're going to make a more inclusive banking system.
0: But right now, Canada's banking system is on the verge of getting even more concentrated.
4: Well, some big business news. Royal Bank has signed a deal to acquire HSBC Bank Canada for $13.5 billion. HSBC has approximately 130 branches and 4,200 full-time employees.
0: Senator Deakin thinks that the Minister of Finance should look at this proposed merger with some skepticism.
3: RBC already has a pretty significant proportion of the average Canadian banking customer. And at a certain point in time, we've got to decide, is greater competition in the best interests of Canadians, or is less competition in the best interests of Canadians? Simply, if you look at the process of the amount of of transactions that are processed every year, like 20 billion individual transactions, $10 trillion in in value passing through our financial institutions every year. Taking an extra percent here and an extra percent there because there isn't a really competitive marketplace costs Canadians and our economy a lot of money. So for me, I'm just in favor of less consolidation and more competition.
0: The story that you heard at the top of the show, of Paul Martin stopping the big banks from merging, is not just an exception, we've really never seen anything like it since. And so, like almost every large merger in Canadian history, the deal between RBC and HSBC Canada is likely to go through, especially since the federal government is so dependent on the banks in so many different ways.
4: The relationship between our federal government and the big banks for years has been more of a symbiotic one. When COVID-19 became a thing and emergency benefits had to be distributed, uh, how did the government do it? Uh, By working with the big banks. At the height of the trucker convoy, how did the government start freezing accounts? By getting the big banks to do it for them. Go look at the Canadian Banker's Lobby Registry and have a look at how intertwined the banks are in Ottawa's affairs. They have skin in almost every game. So regardless of what happens with HSBC and RBC, until we tackle those things, I'm not very optimistic that we'll see much improvement in the foreseeable future. But I guess like, that's part of the problem with banking. Eh? It's like this boring thing. No one wants to think about it. It's kind of like you're plumbing. Come to think of it, I actually have a plumbing issue in my house that I have to fix. It's not a huge issue. It's just like this minor inconvenience. But because it's plumbing, I just don't want to think about it. And it's lingered for like a week. Maybe banking's the same thing.
0: That's your episode of Commons. If you like this episode, please leave us a rating and review in Apple Podcasts. This episode relied on work done by John Victor at The Logic, James Bradshaw at The Globe and Mail, Keldon Bester, and many, many others. If you want to get in touch with us, you can tweet us at CommonsPod. You can also email me, Arshi, at CanadaLand.com. This episode was produced by me and Jordan Cornish, with additional production by Noor Azria. Our managing editor is Annette Ejiofor. And our music is by Nathan Burley. And before we go, I just want to give a quick shout out to Andre Pruel, who is the production coordinator for much of this season. He was a big part of what made this season a success. Thank you again for all that you did. You can listen to Commons ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. If you value this podcast, please support us. We rely on listeners like you paying for journalism. And as a supporter, you'll get premium access to all our shows ad-free, including early releases and bonus content. And you'll get our exclusive newsletter, discounts on Canada Land merch, invites, and tickets to our live and virtual events. And more than anything, you'll be a part of the solution to Canada's journalism crisis, and you'll be keeping our work free and accessible to everybody. Come join us now. Click the link in your show notes, or go to canadaland.com join. This episode is brought to you in part by the Douglas Mattress. Now, I've said it before and I'll say it again. One of the best, and I mean the best, things you can do for yourself is to get a good quality mattress. The time is now, people. Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress protector, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca CanadaLand to claim this offer. That's douglas.ca CanadaLand to claim this offer.